So let's get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Good. If you uh, still have one of those very old-looking things called a Bible, uh, feel free to use that. Most, of, most people seem to be reading on screens these days. So I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 2. If you're taking message notes, the message title is All Together Now. And you'll also find message notes online, either on the website. The best place, though, is our Bayside Church Melbourne app. And click on the media button, bring up the Frankston weekly notes, and uh, you will be able to follow those notes there and and add to yourself as well. So we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 in just a moment. But I want to give you, I kind of want to set the scene for this. Um, Acts 2. Very well-known chapter of Scripture. Jesus has ascended. He said to his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father that I have spoken to you about. And so they're getting together uh, in a room just off the temple court, and they're spending time in prayer and waiting on God. On, on the day of Pentecost morning, there's only 120 people there. just want you to think that, about that for a moment. God rarely works through the crowd. He's working through groups, smaller groups of people that are very committed to him. And so after all of Jesus' work and ministry, after the thousands of people that he fed, after all the people that he healed, there was 120 people there in this room uh, on the day of Pentecost seeking the Lord and praying and then the power of God fell. The day of Pentecost was one of three major feasts in the Hebrew religious life. It was called the the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And it was the time when they would celebrate the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, at which 3,000 people died. On the day of Pentecost that we're going to read about, or we have read about, uh, 3,000 people get saved. It's at Mount Zion, another mountain. The gospel is proclaimed and 3,000 people give their life. And so these people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, 120 of them, spending time seeking God, hanging out together, and then all of a sudden there's this sound. It sounds like a a mighty wind blowing. And then it looks like there's kind of flames of fire touching on the disciples. They all get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're praising God loudly and they start to speak in all of the languages that are represented by all of the nations that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And so this noise happens and and the people gather. Now what we've got to understand is that people would come from all around the world for the major Jewish feasts. And so Jerusalem's population would swell at times like this. Normally, Jerusalem was not a big city. It was about 80,000 people in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. But the population would swell to around 250,000 people, which was a lot of people uh, to cater for and to, and to cope with. And they would gather in the temple courts Uh, for the religious life of that ceremony. Now, the temple court, you know, when I say court, you think maybe a courtyard. But this thing was massive. It was the size of six football fields. It's about 300, sorry, about 36,000 square meters. So if you've been to the Cheltenham campus, for example, the the building and the land that it sits on is about 3,000 square meters. So 12 of those. It was, a, it was massive. And so there would be tens of thousands of people from all over the world gathering in this place. And suddenly these people hear this noise 
off to the side somewhere. Uh, the, the, this wind and, and, then, and then people uh, shouting and praising and, 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 and talking in all of these different languages that some of them understood their native tongue. And, and so these tens of thousands of people would, would, would do exactly what we would do. They'd go, wonder what's happening over there. And they gather around, they were watching, and some of them, the cynics in the crowd go, oh, goodness me, they're getting stuck into the bottle already. They're all drunk. And, uh, and so Peter gets up, filled with the Holy Spirit, not denying Jesus anymore, not running away, but boldly proclaiming the word. And he said, we're not drunk as some of, you, some of you think we are. But then he goes and he preaches this sermon about, you know, this is that that was promised by the prophet Joel and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches a, go- a gospel message that is summarized for us by Luke in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 people out of that massive crowd, actually not a lot of people when you consider the crowd that was there, but 3,000 of them are convinced. Wow, this is, the, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah we've been hoping for. Yes, we believe this message. And 3,000 of them that day decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's the scene that is set here for us. And then Luke includes this few verses that we're going to read at the end of chapter 2 that kind of summarize how this fledgling church began, what they did to grow in their faith as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the way they acted and behaved and grew in their faith for the first few days, weeks, months, and years of the church's existence. So picking it up from verse 42, they devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke their bread, sorry, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Last year, we summarized Bayside Church's vision uh, booklet into into three words. Connect, collaborate, and celebrate. And I want to teach you uh, on those three words today based in what we see here in Acts chapter 2. You know, the way the church expressed itself Back in 2019, oh sorry, in 2019, the way the church is expressing itself now in 2019 is very different to the way it expressed itself in the first century. These days we have multimedia, uh, we live stream our Cheltenham services Saturday night and Sunday morning. We have plugged in music, they didn't have that. In fact, the instruments that we have like piano and drums and guitars, they didn't have back in those days. In the first century their music would be pipes, and, and harps, and horns, and lyres. And I don't know why a Christian would have a lyre. I mean, we're Christians. We aren't liars. Okay, that was funnier last night for some reason. I know, it didn't work at Cheltenham this morning either, and they was looking at me. What? Okay. Uh, in the first century, churches weren't allowed to own property. You see, The church was not mainstream. It was seen as this little breakaway sect from Judaism 
They were looked down upon. They were considered weird. And, and so they, they weren't allowed to own property. The church was seen as uh, rebellious against the, uh, all that the Roman Empire held dear. And so the church had no land rights, no, no property rights whatsoever for its first 300 years. Uh, Christians had property, but the property was often confiscated in times of persecution versus the times that we have today. We get to enjoy this beautiful building here, and I am so grateful for this building, for the one that we have at Cheltenham as well. What a blessing that we have a nice place where we can gather week in, week out, and work from as we reach out to this community with the love and grace of God. But you know, the expression might be different today, but the key ingredients of the church haven't changed. In fact, connect, collaborate, celebrate could have been the vision statement of the early church. And so let's have a look at these things in connect. First of all, they connected in the temple courts and in their homes. In other words, the early church connected in big gatherings and small gatherings just like we do. And I'm grateful for both. To me, it's not either or. I know some people just love being in a big crowd, but, you know, you can go to a massive church and, and um, not meet anybody and then afterwards not have anyone talk to you and then leave on your own. Uh, that's nearly not what church is all about, in my thinking. Church is about connection with one another. I'm not down on big churches, don't get me wrong. I've been into big churches that are friendly and small churches that are not. But we need the big gathering and the small gathering together. That's why we all need to be. And as, as, as this church grows, we, we need to make sure that small groups are, are growing with it. Because we need to get to know one another. Both are important. They connected to learn and discuss the scriptures, just like we do. They connected in the breaking of bread, just like we do. We call it communion, which is celebrating things like unity, our closeness, to God and to one another, empathy for each other, relationship and intimacy. They connected over food, just like we do, except at whatever's happening tonight. With only chocolate? Oh, there's more than chocolate. Okay, but not enough to not have dinner first. Chips. Chips and chocolate. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, okay. Chips and chocolate, two of the major food groups right there. Wonderful. And they connected by praising God together, just like we do. Isn't it wonderful to gather here on a Sunday morning and, you know, so grateful to the worship team, the singers and the musicians who make it easy for us to worship God. It's a wonderful time of, of connection and celebrating as we draw near to God and He draws near to us. I know not everybody likes singing, but did you know that singing is beneficial and especially singing in a group, it actually does stuff that is beneficial to you as an individual. In fact, studies show that singing improves our mood and decreases stress, depression, and anxiety. These benefits are enhanced in a group setting compared to singing alone. I know some of us love to sing on our own, especially in the shower. It all sounds better with the reverb and all of that kind of stuff. You sound nowhere near as good when you're not in the shower. Well, if you're anything like me. I should say. Singing in a group offers us a sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. It helps us feel that we are needed by the larger community. Beyond these psychological effects, our physical health is also impacted for the better. 
Singing in a group lowers your blood pressure, increases your blood oxygen saturation, elevates your immunity to sickness and disease, increases your pain threshold, and uh, and your uh, respiratory muscles are strengthened. Music making produces measurable changes in the brain. This is interesting. These changes positively impact our ability to heal after strokes by assisting the formation of alternative pathways around damaged brain tissues. All of these factors can lead to a deeper sense of well-being and overall happiness. This is all going on when you're singing here on a Sunday morning. Another notion is that the experience of making music together provides a sense of awe, not just for the observers, but for the participants. So if you're watching a show, you benefit, but if you're participating in community singing together, you benefit even more. If one voice, instrument or dancer alone is amazing, a group of performers is more so. What does that awe lead to? Well, research shows that this emotion engenders an enhanced sense of altruism. It seems to shift our focus from our own narrow view to that of our common humanity. Those who report more awe in their lives have been shown to be more generous, more ethical and more helpful towards others. Isn't that fascinating? So as we're singing together, it it actually bonds us closer together, it connects us more, and then from that we want to help others more. It's beautiful. Plus, of course, the main reason why we sing and worship is to draw close to God. And so as we draw close to God, the Bible says God draws close to us. We connect in a greater way with God. I love the way the Passion Translation puts it. It says, move your heart closer and closer to God and He will come even closer to you. The Aramaic puts it this way, and He will be touching you. Get a touch from God. And so that takes effort on our part, you know. Sometimes I feel like praising God on a Sunday morning and other times I do not. And I have a feeling I'm probably in good company with that, you know. What you might have experienced through the week, how you're feeling physically, all of those things come into play. But when we come here on a Sunday, we have a choice. We can either sit back and just go, oh, we're going to praise God today. In which case, nothing will happen. Or you can say, okay, I feel lousy, but I'm going to praise God anyway. And you might feel like you kind of start off in the flesh, but I tell you what, you'll end up in the spirit. Amen. It's wonderful. Bayside Church. Connecting with God, each other, and the world around us. And as we connect, we also collaborate together. Collaboration is what we see here in Acts chapter 2. It tells us that all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Now, we have to understand why this was necessary at this particular point in time. As I said before, the population of Jerusalem would go from about 80,000 to 250,000. That means that tens of thousands of people from other nations were in Jerusalem. At least 3,000 of those people on that day decided to become followers of Jesus. But to grow in their faith, they had to stay where they were because there was no other church. This was it. The whole church was in Jerusalem. There wasn't one anywhere else at that time. The gospel hadn't been proclaimed to other nations. And so these people had decided to follow Jesus. And now as a follower of Jesus, how am I going to grow and develop in my faith unless I stay here? But these people had homes and jobs in different countries. And so they had a major choice to make. 
And the church had a big choice to make as well, because if these people were going to stay and grow in their faith, then they needed jobs, or they needed food, or they needed accommodation. And so what this tells us is that the Christians in Jerusalem opened their hearts and their homes to the believers who were brand new believers in Christ who had come from other nations and they invited them into their homes and they fed them and some of the wealthier members of the church who had extra property decided to sell the land or sell the house or whatever and the Bible tells us a little bit later on that they brought this money and they laid it at the disciples' feet, at the apostles' feet. What that tells us is that the gift was not for the apostles, it was for the church. If they were giving the gift to the apostles, they would have put it in their hands. This is for you. But in the Hebrew culture of the day, if you left a gift at someone's feet, what you were saying is that is for you to use in helping other people. And so that finance was given to the early church, the leaders of the early church, so that as they saw needs, they had the finance and wherewithal to be able to help people meet their needs. What incredible collaboration. No wonder the church mushroomed in growth in Jerusalem because Jerusalem population, we don't know who these Christian people are, these followers of Jesus, but man, do they love each other. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples because your doctrine is always correct. Because you can cross every T and dot every I. No, by your love that you have for one another. That's what Bayside Church needs to continue to radiate into our community, the demonstration of our love for one another and, and, and our unity and love for those in other parts of the body of Christ. So they collaborated to help others who had less, and we do the same at Bayside Church. We achieve so much more together than we ever could on our own. I, I, I'd love to help every orphan in Africa, but I have not got the wherewithal to help. On my own, I might be able to help uh, one. But when we get together, we can help so many more. So almost 20 years ago, we bought a house in Johannesburg as a church. We took a team over there to, to decorate the house and to furnish it. And then we brought in 10 abandoned kids. Some of them were babies, some toddlers, some just, you know, eight or nine years old. The oldest ones now are well into their 20s. And... Uh, and one guy's just finished university and he's got a job and he's, he's, he's got 700 staff working under him in this company. He's a really sharp, switched on guy. I saw a picture in the last week and, and, and we'll show you in the next couple of weeks. But it's this young man holding this baby. The significance in the picture is that the young man was the first baby brought into Acres of Love 21 years ago. He is now 21 and he's holding the latest baby to be adopted into the Acres of Love family. Isn't that magnificent? It's so good. I'll, I can't put it on social media, but, but we'll share it with you in one of the services soon. You know, we could do that because we collaborate together. Matt talked about, you know, the Home and Away pledge next week. Many of you are already pledging, and some of you will continue with that. Some of you might say, well, I want to give X number of dollars per month above my regular tithing and offerings specifically to help the Acres of Love Forever Home through Bayside and, and, and Matt's Place locally. Because what we can do when we get together is so much more than what we could do when we're on our own. Because you say, oh, I can't give very much, Pastor Rob. All I've got is five bucks. Then give the five bucks. 
because when you multiply that through hundreds of people, that's a lot of five bucks make a lot of money when you put them all together. You hear what I'm saying? Others can give a lot more than that. The Forever Home costs us about $100,000 a year to operate because we pay for all of the expenses of the house, the staff in the home. We pay for the boys' medication, education, all of their transport. And, 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 and it's paying great dividends now. It's a wonderful ministry in Johannesburg and also many homes in Cape Town as well. Matt mentioned Matt's Place. It's not named after Matt, but it is Matt's Place. And we have Matt's Place in Cheltenham and Chelsea every week, Tuesdays and Thursday lunchtimes. Last year, we gave out 14, just over 14,000 hot meals. I couldn't do that on my own. Imagine, I wouldn't even know where to start cooking for 14,000 meals. But when you get together with a group of people in, in this church and in other churches and we say, hey, we can work together on this, it makes it possible. Sleep at the G. Now, I could have done Sleep at the G on my own last year, but it would not have been as much fun as it was doing it with a group of other people. I met people I'd never met before. I, I, I went deeper with people I did know. We had great conversations. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, not a lot of sleep. I think it should be called Not Much Sleep at the G. But I tell you what, it gives you insight, just a little bit of insight into what homeless people in Melbourne face when they sleep outside in the wintertime. I mean, we were inside the MCG, right? In, in, in the corridors, uh, lying on the concrete. I took a yoga mat. This year I'm taking an inflatable mattress. I might have nodded off sometime after midnight. Everyone was awake at five in the morning. We didn't have much sleep. Some people went straight to work after that night. But I tell you what, we're all going to do it again this year. And maybe some of you would like to join us. Last year, we raised just over $33,000 for the Melbourne City Mission. They beat their budget. They were trying to raise, I think it was about 800000 but they raised over a million dollars. And uh, they're building... A new centre in King Street to house homeless young people. And Bayside Church was a part of that. In fact, last year we were the only church that took part. Uh, this year I'm, I'm encouraging other churches to get involved as well, asking other people to get involved. Let's collaborate on this and raise even more and make a big difference. What we could do on our own is multiplied when we get together and do it with other people. Collaborating makes our work fun and more productive. You ever done a task, you've looked at the task and it's massive and you don't know how you're going to get it all done and then a few people come alongside you and say, let us help you with that. Suddenly it's like, oh, yes. You know you're going to get it finished and you're going to have some fun on the journey. That's what we experience when we collaborate. And collaboration works miracles. One of my favorite stories in the gospel is in Mark chapter 2. It's the story of a paralyzed man. And this guy and his mates hear about Jesus and they hear about all the miracles taking place. And so these guys get it into their head that they're going to pick their friend up on his mat or his pallet. However they did it, they carried him. They heard where Jesus was and they carry this guy to the house where Jesus is teaching. But when they get there, they find the house is so full of people and there's people crammed in around all the doors and the windows that they can't actually get their friend inside. But they're not deterred. They come up with a great strategy. They have ropes. They climb up onto the roof of the house, flat-roofed house. Somehow they hoist this guy on his pallet up onto the roof, and then they start digging through. I don't know about 
what was going on for the people inside the house? Can you imagine, like Jesus is teaching the Word and suddenly this unearthly noise is happening on the roof. Imagine if that was happening here right now. People on the roof of the Bayside Centre, it's metal, and so suddenly you hear this metal grinder start up. (laughs) The people in the middle are moving. And then suddenly this guy lying on a pallet is being lowered down with ropes. It's a little distracting while I'm trying to preach the sermon. Wonder how Jesus coped with all of that. All the dust and stuff and bits of brick and plaster that dropped into the house. People were already crammed in, but they moved back and let this guy lie down. And Jesus is sitting there quite calmly and looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. People start to complain. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is like, yes, that would be me. But anyway, just so you know, I have the power and the authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralyzed man, stand up and walk, and the guy did. Wow. Now, that's pretty impressive because speaking is one thing, acting is another, right? And this guy gets up and dusts himself off and takes his mat and goes home. Which brings us into the point of celebration, which I will finish on, because the natural outcome of collaborating and connecting is celebration, and that's what happened on this day. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 12, it tells us that he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Wow. I mean... Mark doesn't tell us what the reaction of the paralyzed guy was, but I reckon he would have been celebrating. What do you reckon? Like, I mean, he'd been paralyzed all of his life and suddenly he could walk. Did he just dust himself off and go, thank you, this is nice, and go home? Later, in, in, in the next chapter of Acts, we're told about another paralyzed guy that got healed by Peter and John, and then he went leaping and dancing and praising God into the temple that's a, that's a good response, right? But the crowd was celebrating around him because celebration is something that we do together. Yeah. Unless you're an extreme introvert, in which case maybe when it's your birthday, you ring all your friends to tell them, please don't come around because I'm celebrating my birthday on my own tonight. You know, a little bit like Mr. Bean. When he was celebrating his birthday together and he goes to the restaurant... And he's sitting down there and then he finds his birthday card in his pocket and he takes it out of the cellophane and then writes it to himself, puts it in an envelope, licks the envelope, seals it down and puts it on the table and then he's looking around. <laughs> and his eye glances on the, on the envelope. I know. Picks it up, opens it, and reads it, and then goes, Oh, oh it's nice. No, Mr. Boot. <laughs> Celebrating on his own. And you all, feel, I mean, we love watching that, right? And it's funny, but it's also incredibly sad because celebration is something that we should actually be doing together. These people that were in, in the house with Jesus, where this man 
was, was healed of paralysis were celebrating. They go, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. This is incredible. And one of the joys that we have as a church is that we get to celebrate everything that we've done in partnership with each other and with the Holy Spirit. That's the nature of Jesus. All the way through the Gospels, we see Jesus celebrating. I just want to finish this by uh, reading a quote to you from a devotional that I'm doing this year. And the writer says this, People notice the contrast between the Pharisees' preoccupation with laws and regulations and Jesus' love of celebrations and feasts. They saw Jesus as someone who was always ready for a party, who enjoyed life. In Jesus' parables, the kingdom of heaven is often a banquet, a wedding, a party. And so together in 2019, church, let's connect together, let's collaborate, work together, and then let's celebrate all that God achieves in us and through us. Can you say amen?